0: David is looking on his past and looking at the things he had done in the past, but he reframes it and he actually believes this. It's not really saying, I defeated the bear and I defeated the lion. He says, God rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. So David isn't relying on David to win this battle. David is relying on the same one that he relied in the previous battles to get him through this battle. And that's God. Well, hey there, if we haven't yet met, my name is Alex Judd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth, and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Now, as a business, we exist to help impact driven leaders step into who they were created to be so that others benefit and God is glorified. And this podcast is just another iteration of how that mission comes to life. Well, We're smack dab in the middle of a series called Faith at Work. And the whole thesis behind this series is that work is not a place for our faith to be concealed. Rather, work is an opportunity for our faith to be revealed. And that's really the foundation of all six episodes of this series. It's that our work, the way that you live and lead, is not a place where you should be hiding the good news that you believe. Rather, it may be the greatest opportunity for you to live and practice The good news, the gospel that you deeply believe. And so that begs the question, okay, well, how do I reveal my faith in the work that I do every single day? And we said that we really wanted to focus on ways that are accessible, regardless of where you are on your business's org chart or the culture within your business or where you are geographically. We said that we want to make all of these ways immediately accessible. And therefore, we want to make them more about individual change than organizational change. So it can be really tempting to change things structurally around us whenever we think about a topic like this. But what we're really going to focus on in these episodes is what do we need to change within us so that we're equipped to make an impact in the world around us. And so in the first episode, we focused on excellence because we said quality is part of your testimony. In the second episode, we focused on countenance, and we said that if you want a cheerful face, invest in a happy heart. Today, we're going to focus on confidence, and then we're going to focus on obedience and dependence. And I'll tell you, I had an outline basically written and done for this episode on the topic of faithful confidence. And I was really excited about it. And as part of that outline, there was going to be a reference to a section of 1 Samuel 17, which is the story of David and Goliath. And I was going to pull a couple of verses from that story as a means of illustrating confidence. And it was in putting the final touches on that outline that I turned to 1 Samuel 17 to find those verses And I just started reading through the whole story again, all of the David and Goliath narrative. And I just kind of found myself realizing, oh my gosh, any outline that I could possibly create would be simply a shallow representation of the principles and tactics related to healthy, faithful, holy confidence that are already laid out in the Bible in 1 Samuel 17. And so I said, man, instead of giving a poor, blurry image of, that scripture and that text and trying to communicate in my own way what if we just went through 1 Samuel 17 and pulled out the principles that were embedded in literally so many of the verses that relate directly to the topic of healthy, holy, faithful confidence. And so we're going to do something a little bit different today. Here's how I'm picturing this. You and I are grabbing a cup of coffee. Maybe it's here in Phoenix, Arizona. We're obviously sitting outside because it's always sunny and beautiful Phoenix, Arizona. Or maybe we're on top of the mountain and we just finished a hike and we're sitting down and we're going to open up to 1 Samuel 17. And we're just going to have a conversation about how the narrative and how the story of David and Goliath, which is stood the test of time, it's been referred to for thousands of years, can apply to the topic of confidence in leadership today. And obviously, I'm not a theologian. Uh, I have not been to seminary. So how I'm coming at this is as a practitioner, and I hope you're doing the same. We are people that are trying to take the principles and the morals and the ethics that are embedded in this story, and we're going to try and think about, okay, what are the ways that these principles and ethics and morals apply to my leadership today? And so I'm excited to walk through this with you, and we're just going to go kind of line by line, and I've made some notes. I'm going to kind of pull out and maybe go on a couple of tangents as we work through this, but hopefully not too many, and we're just going to highlight some of the principles and some of the application points that we see embedded throughout this story, and then at the end, we're going to park and highlight some of the high-level takeaways that I want to make sure we all leave with as it relates to confidence being a means and manner for revealing our faith in our work. So if you want to open your Bible, we're starting in 1 Samuel 17, verse 2, and I'm going to be reading From the NIV version. Before I jump into verse two, I think one of the models that I'd like to highlight that I just want you to kind of use as a lens as we walk through this entire story is just the principle that there's a difference between confidence and arrogance. And the way that we're going to kind of think about that difference here today is that confidence is believing God is going to do something great arrogance is believing I am going to do something great. And so I want you to keep that paradigm in your mind as we walk through this story of David and Goliath because you're gonna see ways that healthy, faithful, holy confidence shows up, believing God is going to do something great. But then you're also going to see ways that, man, toxic, unhealthy, Sustainable arrogance that it leads you to getting decapitated uh, shows up in this story as well. So let's start with verse 2. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the Valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. (laughs) So the stage is set here, right? This is why, man, when people say the Bible's boring, I'm just like, no, you're boring, right? This is not boring. This is so exciting, right? We're setting the stage for an epic battle between two forces. One is God's people. The other is, is the enemy, right? And they are standing against God's people and so that's the stage that is set here. Incredibly thrilling, incredibly exciting if you can allow your imagination to really get into the narrative of what's being described here. okay, let's continue on in verse 4. A champion named Goliath who is from Gath came out of the Philistine camp. okay, I promise we're not going to pause after every verse, but I think there's something worth highlighting here. So we're already referring to Goliath as a champion. So that means that he has some wins under his belt. Now, you probably already know this, but as we walk through this story, one of the things that's going to become evident very, very quickly is that Goliath is literally the nine-foot-tall poster child of arrogance, right? And he really symbolizes arrogance in this story. He symbolizes pride. What's interesting about pride is that pride with momentum often looks good, To put it another way, pride with momentum is often celebrated. So Goliath is someone who quite literally has some wins under his belt. He's clearly a warrior that has had some victories and he's held up. He's exalted as a champion. And one of the things that we need to recognize culturally is that pride, whenever you're doing the right things and you're getting the right results and you're winning the battles metaphorically or literally, it can actually look really good. Now that can turn on a dime and culture will turn on you on a dime the you're no longer getting those results and then no longer you have that momentum. But man, people celebrate, people applaud, Pride, whenever it has momentum and whenever it's getting results. And so, one of the things that we need to not forget here is that just because someone's getting results doesn't mean that they're humble or expressing and acting in healthy confidence. And yes, we could say that applies to other people. That applies to me, right? Just because I'm getting results doesn't mean, man, I'm healthy and I'm operating from a place of healthy, holy, faithful confidence. It might be that I'm very prideful and people are celebrating it. Because it looks good externally because I've got momentum. One of the applications associated with this was a quote that I heard a while back from Robert Kiyosaki who wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad. He was talking about bull markets, right? Bull markets is when things are going well in the stock market, right? When there's been consecutive months, quarters, maybe even years of upward trend. And he said bull markets are interesting because they make stupid investors look smart. Put another way, bull markets are interesting because they make prideful, arrogant investors look wise. And and that applies to what we're talking about here, right? That pride and arrogance, when you've got momentum, when things are going your way, uh, can actually look good and be celebrated. And so that explains why we're calling Goliath here a champion. He's got some wins under his belt. It doesn't mean that he's not arrogant. It just means that he's got some victories. Okay, so let's keep going. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor and bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. (laughs) <laughs> Gosh. All I can think of is when they say his shield bearer went ahead of him, all I can think of is those football coaches that have like a towel boy following them around with a towel to wipe their sweat off of him. I'm like, okay, so Goliath's one of those guys. But one of the things we can already take away from this, Goliath, our poster child of arrogance and pride, it seems like he cares a lot about what he looks like. And we're going to have a, an incredible dichotomy or opposite to this in in the person of David coming up here in just a second. But it's like he's literally wearing armor made of scales, right? He's trying to look like a reptile. And I, I mean, I, I don't know how rare or what, what the deal was around bronze at that time, but this dude's got bronze all over him, right? Now, it's really interesting to go read the commentaries on some of these verses to see how big some of these things were. But the guy was just like like all about big, great grandiosity. And, and he cared about what he looked like. And clearly, so did other people, right? Other people cared about what he looked like as well. And he clearly looked impressive, Uh, and, And that probably wasn't aided by the fact that estimates are he was between seven and nine feet tall, right? So he was kind of predisposed to being arrogant in some ways. And so it's just worth paying attention to that oftentimes arrogance cares about what it looks like in front of other people let's keep going. Verse eight, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. So he's challenging them, right? He's basically daring them to a battle. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy defy the armies of Israel give me a man and let us fight each other defy this is really interesting the etymology of defy is disfidus that's the latin dis is apart or away from fidus is faith so literally he's acting in defiance we're going to see this word show up a lot in this text Dis, or D, apart or away from, finds faith. He's moving away from faith. He's expressing literally a lack of faith. Again, we are literally setting the stage for just an absolutely perfect dichotomy between Goliath, who is the poster child of pride, and David, who's going to be our poster child of faithful confidence. Verse 11, On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. That word terrified is interesting to think about because what are they afraid of there? Well, it's ultimately fear of man. It just happens to be that the man in question is a giant man, but it's fear of man. And what are we called to? I'm not saying this is easy. It makes sense to me why they would be afraid in that situation, right? But what are we called to? We're called to fear of God and, and our fear of God and obeying and honoring and living in alignment with what he's called us to do should always supersede our fear of man. And that really sets up a paradigm in which I'm going to be faithful to God regardless of the circumstances man-made that I'm opposing, right? And so I'm not going to allow the things of this world to impede or interrupt my relationship with my heavenly father is the attitude of faithful confidence. Now, I'm not even saying that I fault uh, Saul and even his men for feeling terrified in that moment, right? It it sounds like it would be terrifying. What we want to make sure is that in moments where we're scared, we never want to allow our fear of man to supersede our fear of God, Verse 12. Now, David was the son of an Ephratite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time, he was very old. Jesse's three sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second was Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul and, But David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So there's a principle in this about what David is found doing at the time whenever all this is going on. And it's just something that I spent some time thinking about. It's amazing how confidence, the experience of confidence, because my bet is that you've experienced confidence before, that you walked into a situation or into a project or into a meeting or onto a job site or into work. And you said, man, I feel really confident in this for whatever reason. And maybe you've experienced that before. Well, here's what I think applies from where we're at in the narrative right now. Confidence is often experienced by those who are stewarding their current responsibility. I'm going to say it again. Confidence is often experienced by those who are stewarding their current responsibility. So we're about to walk further into this story where David, again, is the poster child of confidence. And it it will be really easy to ask the question, where on earth did all of this confidence come from? And one of the things that I want you to remember as we get into that is, well, keep in mind that he was stewarding his current responsibility because what was his current responsibility? Well, it was to tend to his father's sheep and that's what he was supposed to be doing. Now, if he wasn't able to manage what he was supposed to be doing and what God had for him in that season, how on earth would he be able to engage with and properly attend to what God had for him in the next season? Let's apply that to you. Let's apply that to your work. Let's apply that to your team. It's gonna be really hard for you to step into the next season with confidence if you're not attending to the season you're responsible to right now. So what's the season you're in? What are you supposed to be focused on right now? And are you attending to it? Are you stewarding it? Are you applying all of the principles that we talked about in the episode about excellence to that season? Because you shouldn't be surprised if you're not doing those things that you're not feeling a ton of confidence whenever you enter into other things. It's like you can't even handle what's in front of you right now. Why on earth should you focus on taking on more But if you can be responsible for what God's given you today, well, Jesus would say later, he who can be trusted with little can be trusted with much. Let's keep going. Verse 16. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. (laughs) This is crazy. 40 days, right? What happens when you experience fear, when you experience terror? It said that they were terrified, right? Fight, flight or freeze. Well, they're not running, probably because running they know isn't going to go well. They're certainly not fighting, right? They've had 40 days of opportunities to step out and stand up to this guy who's defying, apart or away from faith, them and their God. They're not doing that. So what have they done? They're freezing, And how many of you have ever been in that situation before? I've been in that situation before where I'm making decisions based on fear and out of a posture of fear, I don't want to run because that would look too cowardly, but I'm also not courageous enough to fight. So I just freeze and don't make a decision at all. Verse 17. "'Now Jesse said to his son David, "'Take this ephah of roasted grain "'and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers "'and hurry to their camp. "'Take along 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit.' So he's like, take them this charcuterie board, right? And again, we're, we're alluding to David being an incredible picture and example of what it looks like to embody faithful confidence. If someone wasn't confident, I feel like they would be very insecure about playing this role and might even reject this role. They would say, I'm not doing that, even though it's probably what the army actually needs. They need food, right? And clearly his father is requesting this of him. So it's one of his responsibilities right now. Now, an insecure leader is unable to do things that other people deem less than. A confident leader says, how can I serve? And it doesn't really matter if it's glorified, exalted work or if it's dirty work. I want to know how I can serve because that's what I'm here to do. So David runs out with the bread and cheese. And and then Jesse also says, see how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. So let's not pause too long here, but that word assurance. It's like his dad, Jesse, is literally looking for confidence, right? He's looking for assurance. And I read the commentaries on this. He's asking him, bring back a token, bring back like a lock of their hair or something, just so I know that they're okay. I want to know that they're okay. And so he's actually looking to the well-being of his sons as a source of confidence. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the Valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Verse 20, early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd. Pause there for a second. Inconfident, insecure, arrogant leaders, you know what they don't do? They don't delegate. (laughs) Why? They can't delegate because they don't believe anyone else could ever do anything the way they could do things. And they're unwilling to see anyone take anything that they deem theirs, Meanwhile, David seems more than ready and willing to delegate. He leaves the flock in the care of a shepherd, and he loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. (laughs) That's an interesting question to ask. Like, how are y'all doing? I'm interested in how y'all are. Verse 23. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine, champion from Gath, there's that word champion again, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, again, apart or away from faith. And he's now made a pattern of this. Like It's like a daily thing. He comes out and just rags on them, trash talks them. And David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. So every day he comes out and does this. And every single day they run away in deep seated fear. Let's keep going. Verse 25. Now, the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. There's that word defy again. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage, and he will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. So it's interesting what they're trying to do here. They are trying to think of a reward that will inspire confidence. And, And so that kind of raises another point like you can have confidence in a wide variety of things right? Now, your confidence in riches or your confidence in status or your confidence even in worldly relationships, it's ultimately going to be shallow. It can only go so far. And so really, this is raising the question of like, what are you willing to trust in? And they're giving people every opportunity to be confident in something. They're like, you're going to be rich. You're not even going to have to pay any taxes, they're saying. And they're saying he's going to give you his daughter. You're going to be famous, right? And so they're saying, can't you be confident in this. And they're still too afraid, right? Which is probably worthwhile because none of that is going to stand up in battle against this nine foot tall behemoth. And so it's worth remembering that just because you feel confident doesn't mean you're confident in the right things. It goes on to say, which we kind of already alluded to, he will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. What a great gig. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So everyone else is thinking about Goliath in terms of what he is saying towards them. David is the first person, at least in this narrative, to come onto the scene and saying, how dare he say these things about our God? So everyone else is perceiving him as like, man, this guy's standing against us. David is saying, man, this guy isn't just standing against us. This guy is standing against God. And so one of the overarching themes that we're going to see play out here and that we're going to highlight at the end is it's like David is already looking through a different lens. He's really assessing the situation through a separate paradigm than all of the other Israelites on the playing field right now. He's playing a different game. They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. So they said, like, you're not going to have to pay any taxes. You're going to get the king's daughter. All these good things are going to happen. Now, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. What's the principle here? Well, there's probably many of them, but confidence draws critics. Even if it's holy, faithful, God-honoring confidence, it's going to draw critics. And sometimes those critics might be the people that are closest to you. In this case, it was David's brother. So it's hard to know fully what's going on here, but it, it seems as though Eliab's envy is causing him to view David's confidence as conceit, right? As being full of himself, as being arrogant. Verse 29. Now, what have I done? Said David, can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else. I didn't actually make a note on this, but that's pretty good, right? He gives Eliab less than a verse, less than a sentence, right? He says, what have I done? And then he turns away to someone else. Like, I don't have time for this right now. Have you seen? There's this nine foot behemoth. Like we can't talk about what you think about my appearance right now. Again, faithful confidence. "...and brought up the same matter, and the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, "'Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him.'" Now, it's a little bit of kind of a journey into earlier chapters in 1 Samuel. But Saul originally had the anointing of God. And uh, I think it's in 1 Samuel 15, he literally went astray and denied it at first, but then eventually admitted to it and said, I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. So that was his reasoning for going astray, for deviating, is he was afraid of his men. and so. Again, Again, we see Saul as being someone whose fear of man is superseding his fear of God. He probably, as the king, as the leader, should be the one to stand against this giant that's defying the God that he serves. But he's not doing that, right? And, and probably an indication into why is because we see into his heart in 1 Samuel fifteen twenty four. he literally said, I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. Verse 33, Saul replied, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God." So what is Saul doing here? Well, Saul is comparing resumes. And and if Saul's looking at Goliath's resumes, he sees a list of every battle that this guy has led the way into the Philistines achieving and accomplishing victory. And I mean, the guy is a champion, right? And he's like, David, have you seen this guy's resume? Meanwhile, look at your resume. Check out David's LinkedIn. There's one line on David's LinkedIn and all it says is shepherd, But if you double click on shepherd and start to read a little bit about more about what he was doing is it's like, oh, he was tending sheep, but in the process of tending sheep, because he was engaging faithfully, he was put in positions where he was fighting off bears and fighting off lions. Here's the thing that you need to remember. Your faithfulness in this season is preparing you for your faithfulness in the next season. And so, What is being entrusted to you to protect and provide for in this season? Because if you can do that well, again, we're talking about stewardship here. If you can do that well, regardless of how much of a struggle it is, regardless of how difficult and dangerous it is, if you can be faithful in this season because you're called to it in this season, that's going to prepare you for faithfulness in the next season. Look at what David says in verse 37. He says, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Okay, so David is already drawing his line in the sand as being someone that exemplifies holy, faithful confidence instead of being someone who represents toxic, unsustainable arrogance. Because remember, what is confidence? Confidence is believing God will do something great. And... David is looking on his past and looking at the things he had done in the past, but he reframes it and he actually believes this. He's not really saying, I defeated the bear and I defeated the lion. He says, God, God, rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear. So he's not relying on his feeble abilities because David is a man. And the good thing is is that David knows he's a man, which means that he's completely open to failure, imperfection, mistakes, fallibilities. And so David isn't relying on David to win this battle. David is relying on the same one that he relied in the previous battles to get him through this battle. And that's God. Who got you through the past battles in your business, in your relationships, in your life? When you've been through times of struggle, who got you through those things? Certainly, you played a role. Someone had to fight the bear. Someone had to fight the lion, right? And God put you in that position to do that. But who actually won the battle? Who did the victory actually belong to? And the thing that I constantly have to remind myself as a leader is, oh, I didn't win that battle. There were so many things in that season that could have taken me down, that could have taken us down, but it didn't. Why? Because I'm so brilliant, because I'm so creative, because I'm such an incredible leader. No, because God's so good and he's capable of anything. And so. It was God that got me through those battles. And if I'm trusting and operating in alignment with him, I have every reason to believe that he can get me through these ones. If I'm looking at my own feeble, fragile, weak abilities, I'm not going to have much confidence stepping up to the plate against the proverbial Goliath because I'm inconsistent at best. But if I'm trusting in God the one who is faithful and good and whose steadfast loving kindness follows me all the days of my life, well, that's where confidence comes from. Okay, so let's keep going. It says, Saul said to David, go. Go and the Lord be with you. It's funny, uh, reading up until this point, there's really nothing that shares that Saul is actually a man of faith. And it's like, suddenly he talks to David and now he says, okay, the Lord be with you. It's a good reminder that sometimes people need to borrow some of your belief and that belief is transferable and that your confidence in God, your belief, your trust in the way God will protect and provide will have a ripple effect. It will influence and impact other people. In this case, it was David that impacted Saul. Now, we could go on a whole nother probably two hours about everything that would happen with regard to the relationship between David and Saul and how that could relate to John Maxwell's law of the lid in that David's belief and faith exceeded Saul's. That's very clear here, and it stayed that way. And that created some real uh, leadership dilemma that play out for the remainder of first samuel so hopefully out of this you're like oh man i want to read more of first samuel cuz this is just such a brilliant leadership story verse 38 Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. So he puts on this armor and he tries to walk around, right? So it doesn't even say he does walk around. It's He tries to walk around. And then David says, I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag and with his sling in his hand approach the Philistine couple of really interesting things here again David clearly isn't interested in what other people think he looks like he has a very clear Purpose, a very deliberate destination that he's operating towards. And he's not asking what will other people think. He's asking what's the best way to accomplish or achieve or steward the responsibility that God has put in front of me right now. And Saul has a theory on what the best strategy is to accomplish that end. But his theory is to put on all the armor that he would wear. And David tries that on. And he's like, this isn't me. Have you ever found yourself deeply unconfident because you realize you were trying to look like or be like someone else? This is related to identifying your unique leadership style and your distinct leadership voice. That's what we're talking about here. It is What does it mean for you to be an authentic, genuine leader and for you to operate in the strengths and gifting that God gave you, not to adopt or Imitate the strengths and gifting that God gave others. Now, certainly there's nothing wrong with having role models, but there's a difference between getting guidance and direction from someone and trying to be someone. And David said, Man, if I try to be Saul by putting on Saul's armor, all I'll be is a second-rate Saul. And Saul is already the one that isn't stepping up to the plate. So, why on earth? Would I want to be a second-rate version of that? My job is to be the version of David that God created me to be in this season, and he's confident in that. It made me think of a business conference that I went to once that Just, I mean, the the speaker lineup was just incredible. It was the who's who of speakers. And uh, there was just a whole slew of just very trendy, very top-notch thought leaders, thinkers at that time. And you could kind of tell, it really wasn't bad, that a lot of them were dressing for the part, right? They were on a big stage. They were interacting with, with a large number of people. They were on these big screens. And it was like, they were dressing in such a way that it's like, okay, you probably wouldn't normally wear that, but you're wearing this right. now, because you wanna look the part and you're caring about what people think of you. And then there was this guy, he was the former CEO of a multi-billion dollar company and he came out after his name was announced and all the lights flashed and everything. And he was wearing khakis that were pleated and had his collared shirt tucked in with this braided belt and had it buttoned all the way to the top. And he looked a lot of things, but Trendy was not one of them. What he did look is it was comfortable. You look like you were talking to a guy that it's like, this is what this guy wears every single day. This is what he's used to being in, to use the language that David used in this chapter And it it, it was so wild. His presentation was so good. You know why it was so good? Because it was so effective and so laid back. It was like he wasn't focused on impressing anyone or proving anything. He was just up there being himself and telling the story with all the foils and pitfalls and failures and victories that he's learned from along the way. I asked so many people afterwards because I was really interested on who their favorite speaker was or who was the speaker that they learned the most from. And without a shadow of a doubt, everyone said this exact same guy. And when I asked them why, almost all of them used the same word to describe him. They said he was relatable. Now, certainly that didn't have everything to do with his clothing, but I've got this theory that it had something to do with his clothing because he was just trying to be himself. And when you just try to focus on being yourself, well, that's what everyone else is trying to do anyway. So you instantly become relatable. So you instantly become relatable. So often the thing that gets in the way of our leadership is our desire to look like other people or our desire to impress or to prove something. Sometimes we put on armor and we can't even walk around. It's like we try to walk, but we can't. And what we need to do is what David did here is say, I cannot go in these. That is a confident assertion. He's like, I don't care what you think I should do. I cannot do this because I can't do what God is calling me to do in this stuff. And so be yourself. You were created like an individual. Start acting like it. But also what's interesting here. David knew who he was. So it's one thing to say, okay, don't try to be someone else, but it's a lot easier to not try to be someone else if you know who you are. And so David clearly knew what his strengths were because he wasn't like, okay, well, I can't wear Saul's armor. Now what do I do? He said, that's not me. Let me remember who I am. And he immediately went over and picked up five stones. Verse 41. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him, there's that towel boy, <laughs> kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. So that's interesting. Look at that word real quick, despised. So It says that Goliath sees David and he sees that he's healthy and he's handsome. So it's like, man, this guy's young, he's healthy, he's got life in him, and he's good looking. And the immediate reaction of arrogance in that moment is, I despise him. And that's how you know you're operating in pride or arrogance versus confidence because pride or arrogance can't hold the success or goodness or blessing of others because you think the whole show's about you. So you just have this idea and perception and paradigm in your head that there's not an abundance of blessing to go around, that there's a scarcity of it. And if you're young, if you're healthy, if you're handsome, those things aren't occurring just for you. Those things are taking away from me. And my resulting emotions are going to be envy and anger. I'm going to despise you. That's insecure pride and arrogance at work. He said to David, "'Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks?' And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. "'Come here,' he said, "'and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals.'" David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Again, David is not saying you offended me. David is saying you've defended God. And believe me, you are not picking a fight with me because you're right. I am a boy. I'm not even going to deny what you just said, but you're not picking a fight with me. You're picking a fight with the God that I represent. You're picking a fight with my God and woe to you if you want to defy and pick a fight with my God. Verse 46, this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give you the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. So, David is again revealing what he believes about who's going to win the battle. He's not even saying, I'm going to win the battle. He's saying, the Lord is going to deliver you to me. He's saying, God is going to win the battle. So there's something to be said here about how you point to God, depend on God, trust in God in your failures and pitfalls. But also, confidence can be reflected in how you point to God and reflect on God and depend on God in your victories. And David is showing us what it looks like to exercise confidence, not even just in victory, but before victory. And he's not being self-deprecating here. He's not putting himself down like leaders so often do. He's not denying the strength of the position that he's been put in. He's owning it and saying, this is what I'm here to do. But then he's also revealing something about his motive here. He says, And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. So he's giving us insight into this is my purpose for stepping up to the plate. And we know what Nietzsche said is true. He who knows his why can bear almost any how. And if your why is only about you, why on earth would you ever put yourself at risk, right? That explains why all the other Israelites are sitting as spectators on the sidelines, including Saul, right? Because their why ultimately is prideful, and arrogant. It's about themselves. They're more concerned about themselves than about God's name being glorified and not being defied by this behemoth across the line from them. And so they're more concerned about their own safety. And because they're so concerned about themselves, they don't have a good enough why. If your purpose is yourself, you'll never be able to do something bigger, greater, and grander than yourself because that's your purpose. He who knows his why can bear almost any hell, but if your why is only me and my kingdom and my glory, you're not going to really have the confidence to be able to do anything that amounts to anything more than you or your kingdom and your glory. And so if you want to do the work of God, you need to make sure you're participating in the purposes of God. Is the principle there? 47. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. I I love that picture of confidence. You are not sitting in timidity or fear. You are sitting with strength under control. You are running to the battle line saying, this is my responsibility. This is what I've been called to. I have conviction around my role to play and I'm running to it. I'm actively participating in what God has given me to do. So one of the takeaways there is obviously make sure you understand what God is calling you to do in this season. And that happens in moments of your greatest clarity, right? In maybe your retreat or maybe time in prayer in the morning, maybe time journaling, maybe in conversation with people you deeply trust to give biblical counsel, but get in on what God is doing on this season. Be clear on what that is. Like, what does God have for me in this season? What are my responsibilities? What's my role to play in this season? And then don't you dare sit and be timid on the sidelines. Run quickly to the battle line. Once you know what your role is to play, there's no walking. There, there's no pandering. There's no wandering. We're going to run quickly to the battle line. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. <laughs> One shot. What a baller. Uh, the stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. Well, the first thing that comes to mind here is that line from The Office. If you if you write if you watch The Office, when Michael is talking about someone who was decapitated, he says, his kappa was titated from his head. <laughs> I couldn't help but think about that. That's a little bit of a humorous aside. But if we're not thinking about the office, what did we say at the beginning? We said pride with momentum often looks good, right? So if you are being prideful and arrogant, but you've got some victories on your belt and you've got some some wins and and you've got a track record and things are going your way, it actually looks good and is often celebrated. But here's the contrary principle to that one. Pride without momentum looks a lot like a nine-foot-tall man on the ground with his head chopped off. And so he has been brought low. And we're gonna highlight here in just a second how powerful that symbolism is in terms of what happened here. But he's got all the same pride and arrogance. He has none of the momentum and suddenly he is revealed for who he is, a farce and a fake that never believed in anything more than himself. Meanwhile, David is actually still the same guy because he never tried to be something he wasn't. Now, he's just the same guy who has a victory under his belt. And David almost immediately in the remainder of the story gives all glory to God. And again, serves as an embodiment of confidence is not believing you are going to do something great. Confidence is believing God is going to do something great. Now, it can be really easy for me to approach a situation or a project or a meeting or a challenging issue with confidence, believing that God is going to do something great. And then the great thing happens. And in the process of the great thing happening, in the process of the giant being defeated, in the process of Goliath's head being chopped off, my confidence transforms and devolves into arrogance. And leading up to it, everything that made it possible in the first place was that I believed God was going to do something great. And then the great thing happens, and too often in my life, that's when I start to take credit. But I'll tell you, it's one of the things that I constantly have to come back and focus on and work on is that, man, yes, I need to depend on God and my failures and my defeats. But man, what does it look like to be a leader who depends on God and points to God and his saving grace and provision and protection in our victories? And so the two words that I'm trying to get really habitual about saying, when something good happens in our company, when something good happens in our life, When something good happens in my life, when something great happens in my relationships, the two words that I'm trying to get really practiced and disciplined about saying are praise God. And what's so cool is the more that I practice saying those words, the more I find myself taking a stutter step and actually believing them. That when someone says, oh my gosh, it's just so crazy how much path for growth has grown in the past year. I try to say, praise God. And then I try to step back and say, make sure you actually believe that make sure you actually reflect on that and make sure you actually tell that story of how God has brought this business to where it is today. I have not done this. I've managed this, thankfully, and I'm grateful that he's given that to me to do. And our team has done such an incredible job as well. And we're trying to be effective stewards of what he's given us. And we're so thankful that we get to actively participate in what he is doing. But make no mistake, God is delivering the giant into our hands. We've got it laid out for us on a platter. That's the attitude that we want to have. We want to make sure that we are pointing to God in our defeats, but also pointing to God in our victories and saying, praise God. Okay, so out of that walkthrough of 1 Samuel 17, there's a couple things that I wanted to take away about leaders that practice faithful, healthy, sustainable confidence. I'm going to give you five. Number one, discern what God is doing and get in on that. Abraham Lincoln purportedly was approached by a man who said, well, don't you think God is on our side? Don't don't you think that he's supporting the union in this battle being the Civil War? And this is the response that he reportedly said to that man. He said, sir, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right. And man, that's so powerful. It can be so easy to look for reasons to justify, oh, God is on my side. God is in this business. God is supporting my life. And maybe we need to shift the paradigm a little bit and say, man, the goal is not for me to get God to be on my side. My goal and my focus needs to be, how do I make sure this business, this life, these relationships, everything that I'm stewarding and managing, all of my assets are on God's side right now, because he's doing the thing. And to use Abraham Lincoln's language, he is always right. And so we need to get in on what God is already doing. He's doing the thing and his thing is right. And we need to make sure that we're putting our business, that we're putting our relationships, that we're putting our leadership in that will. And so, well, then we, we say, okay, well, how do I figure out what God is doing? And, and, Uh, this has been revealed to us. We need to remember that. How has it been revealed to us? It's been revealed to us in his creation. Creation tells us so much. Creation tells us so much about his character and his nature and who he is. It's been given to us in his word. So often we can spend time like pandering around like, well, what does God want me to do? And it's like, well, he he already told you what he wants you to do. It's called the Bible, right? And so there's wisdom in here. Let's, Let's, know it, let's study it, let's focus on it, and let's memorize it. And then he gave us a living, walking example in human flesh of what his will is in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we need to discern what God is doing by looking at creation, by looking at his word, by looking at the example of Jesus. We need to get in on that. Number two, we need to dare to play a different game. This is so exemplary in the way David practiced faithful confidence throughout 1 Samuel 17. And I just don't want us to miss the applications of that to what we get to do as impact-driven leaders that own or run businesses. Here's the deal. Uh, Many people say we're already there. If we're not there, this is the trajectory that we're going on. We live in a post-Christian America, And that can be really sad, but what we also need to remember is there's incredible opportunity in that. But if we live in post-Christian America, why would our filter for what we should do ever be the industry standard, what everyone else is doing in the marketplace, or what is mainstream and popular? That's like saying, oh man, where do we want to go? Let's take the route that has the most traffic. Well, the, the, the way with the most traffic is not going to get you there the fastest. It's not going to be the most effective. Also, there's a pretty good chance that destination isn't even the right destination. And so is the industry faithful to God? Probably not if we live in post-Christian America. And so why on earth would we base all of our actions, all of our attitudes, what we do on what the industry's doing? We need to attend to what God is doing and recognizing that that game is likely going to look radically different than the game many other people are playing, and that's not wrong. That's not good or bad. That just is, right? Everyone else was wearing armor, and David had the guts to say, this isn't me. This won't help me do what I'm called to do. I'm supposed to do something else in order to be faithful to God and the response ability he's called me to steward so dare to play a different game number 3 fear god not man proverbs 1.7 says the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom and one of the things that we hit home multiple times is that it can be really easy for the fear of man to supersede our fear of god and man I would say this is on overdrive right now with regard to social media because it's really easy to make approval from man the idol that sits on the throne of our heart. And there's only one thing that can sit on that throne. And if we are unwilling to be faithful to what God has called us to because we're too focused on what other people would think, we have made the approval of man our God. And there is no wisdom that ever comes from that. Fear God, not man. Number four, trust in that which is trustworthy. In this story, it's so clear that so many people, including Goliath, were trusting in shields and swords and armies. In our time today and in the marketplace, we can trust in finances and bank accounts and strategic plans and government regulations. Here's the deal. The story of David versus Goliath is that so often the things that we think are trustworthy can absolutely be obliterated in a moment if God wills it. And so what we need to trust in is the thing that is actually unshakable, immovable, and irrefutable, and that is the goodness and power and loving kindness of God. That's what we need to lean on. And obviously that's what we're going to get into more in the dependence episode of this series. But it's so interesting. We still use militant language, right? Someone the other day told me about building a moat around your business. We talk about stockpiling. We talk about creating reserves of cash. We talk about reinforcing. I I heard someone the other day talking about the strategy for their business, and they said, we really need to guard our flanks. And so we still use military language, right, as we talk about the strategy and the finances of our business. I'm not even saying any of those strategies or financial approaches are bad. What I'm saying is don't make those good things the best things. And don't rely on the moat that you're building around your business or the stockpile that you have of cash or the reserves that you have put away to be your god, to be the thing that's going to protect or provide for you. Because those can be wiped out in a moment's notice. We've seen this happen over the course of the past decade in so many ways. And when you make that thing the main thing and then it gets wiped out, I mean, we see what happens. You will be crushed. There's a reason why people committed suicide in the fallout of 2008, because the thing that they had made God went away in a moment. And when the thing that you have made the ultimate centerpiece of your life gets wiped out like it never even happened, that shakes you to your core. And so what do you want to make the ultimate centerpiece of your life? Something that is fragile and feeble? Something that, to quote in Matthew, moths and rust destroy and thieves can break in and steal? Or do you want it to be something that's lasting and sustainable like the goodness of God? What are you leaning on? And then finally, Number five, be humble or be humbled. So the Greek word for humble is humilitas. And what that word means literally is low to the ground. So, I mean, picture you or someone else being low to the ground. Now, keep in mind the imagery here. David is short. Goliath is tall. Now, to be humble is, uh, we always use the definition on this podcast is to have an accurate viewpoint of oneself right? So it means that I see myself accurately, which means that I'm a fragmented, fragile, feeble, imperfect human being. I came from dust and I'm going to dust, right? This life is but a glimmer and I have a really accurate viewpoint of who I am and how small that person is in light of how big and great and grand God is. It doesn't mean that I think less of myself to use C.S. Lewis language. It just means that I think of myself less. I don't think I'm a a big deal. Meanwhile, think about Goliath, pride, arrogance. What is arrogance? To be high in one's own estimation. That is so interesting as it relates to this story. So, humilitas is low to the ground. Arrogance or pride is to be high in one's own estimation. Now, Jesus says that the humble will be exalted and the exalted will be humbled. And what happens in this story? David, the one that is low to the ground, the one that has an extremely accurate viewpoint of oneself, but also an accurate viewpoint of God, he is exalted. He's raised up and he's not raised up by himself. Meanwhile, Goliath, who is literally over here exalting himself and then allowing himself to be puffed up and exalted by others, he's high in his own estimation, both physically and metaphorically. What has happened to him? He is humbled. He is literally brought low to the ground. His body is put flat on the ground, and he returns to the dust from whence he came So that's really interesting to think about. When we get high in our own estimation, when we start to read the press clippings that we or our business or leadership is a big deal, you know what that means? We have further to fall. And what's wild is, in this case, Goliath allowed himself to ride the ride of pride. But sometimes you don't even have to go with it. Sometimes people will put you up there and you can't help. We see stories of this all the time. I'm sure you've experienced this. I've experienced this, where, man, you start to believe what other people say about you. And what is that saying that, man— When you lack momentum, things look worse than they actually are. But when you have momentum, things look better than they actually are. And you start to think like, oh, man, all these things are going well. I start to have some momentum. And I think like I'm actually starting to believe what people are saying about me. Well, that means that you're becoming high in your own estimation, which means you have further to fall and you will always fall because life always corrects to itself. And so you will be humbled. You will come close to the ground once again. Better to stay low. Better to stay humble. Better to have an accurate viewpoint of oneself. And to lead from that posture, being willing to serve, not looking down on others, not comparing yourself to others, recognizing your imperfections and fallibilities, being bold about what God has called you to do, but recognizing that God is fighting the battle and you are simply the steward that is managing what's going on within those responsibilities. So let's review them, discern what God is doing and get in on that, dare to play a different game, fear God, not man, trust in that which is trustworthy and be humble or be humbled. That's what it looks like to practice faithful confidence. And this is one of the ways that our faith can be revealed in our work. Let's end with a prayer. God, fill us with holy confidence today. Use it to drive out the pride that so subversively deviates our intentions and actions from you. Help us not to trust in our work, accomplishments, finances, or plans. Help us to trust in you. I pray that we would look to your word and example as a paved way for living and leading well. I pray that we would attend to that path with faithfulness, boldness, and self-control. I pray that our confidence in you would produce good fruit, wisdom, patience, security, a cool spirit, and consistency. I pray that this fruit would show up in the way that we work and lead so that people are served well and you are glorified. Amen. Y'all, I hope that this was helpful today. Uh, You know this. We're praying for you. We're rooting for you. We want to see you win. Remember, my strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.